We're going to be starting just about in like two seconds, all right? Okay. All right. I'll introduce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. All right. No, you, I introduced last time. All right, I'll do it. All right, then you do it. All right, here we go. Are you going to do it? (laughs) You're messing up my timer. (laughs) I keep a timer, Maurice, not to keep us, you know, to a strict time, just kind of keep track of things. And Lynn's messing me up now. All right. Here we go. You, 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 you ready, Lynn? I'm listening. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. All right. No. Okay. So you ready to go? God damn it. <laughs> Hello. Welcome again to the Michelle Mission. Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. My name is Vincent Williams, host of It's All Soul, Wednesdays on GTownRadio.com, 8 to 10, and I'm joined, of course, by Mr. Lynn Webb. Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Lynn Webb, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble of Black Tribbles fame. And as we continue our foray into the filmography of Prince, we have a special guest with us this evening. It is writer, filmmaker, Maurice Poplar is on the line. How you doing, Maurice? Hey, Jess, I'm doing well. I'm here in California. Oh, wow. All the way out in, in Kalalaki. But Maurice has become a devotee of everything Michelle Mission and uh, wrote to us a, a couple of months ago, actually. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He um, got in, in early. Inquiring about wanting to be uh, on the show. Should we find our way towards the land of Prince and find ourselves um, basking under the cherry moon, as it were. And now we, uh, this is where we sit. So we have connected with Maurice and he is joining us for this leg on the Michelle mission as we review uh, Prince's second film, but his directorial directorial debut. debut. But before we get to that, you know, we have a little, little, uh, Little housekeeping, little little feedback that we wanted to share with folks. You know, I mean, what, what we got over there, Lynn? Oh man, we we have something that just made our day, man. Uh, Maurice, have you ever has something ever happened to you that has literally made the smile on your face the size of like a, a grapefruit? Just like this big, big, bodacious smile on your face. I don't, I don't measure my happiness by the size of my smile, but I've gotten a strut from a phone call or two. <laughs> I feel you. Well, well, we got a big slice of happy um, just the other day when we received an email from Dorian Missick. Dorian Missick may not be a name known, uh, a household name, right? But right. it's a name that is known to all of us, uh, you know, me and Vince here absolutely, on the Michelle Mission, absolutely, and followers of the Michelle Mission, because Dorian Missick is the one of the stars of Big Words, yes, a film that, ah. that we reviewed early on, fairly early, yeah, fairly yeah. early on in um, in our mission. Uh, he wrote to us and said, "Fellas." I have become a huge fan of the Michelle Mission ever since I heard your mixed review of my film, Big Words. 
I love what you cats are doing over there and am happy that our films are being given the art house treatment that they deserve. Honoring our contribution to the film culture and documenting it is immensely important and entertaining to listen to. I prefer the shows with just you two, although I did like the episode on Purple Rain a lot, which I am listening to while I type this. However, with that being said, how can I get down? (laughs) Interestingly enough, I'm going to be in Philly from August 4th to the 7th for the Black Star Film Festival that you guys are plugging at this very point of the podcast. I have a film screening there, and my wife and I will be hosting the awards presentations. I would love to talk about Juice, Clockers, or believe it or not, New Jersey Drive. I feel those films fell victim to the oversaturation of hood flicks that came out at the time and slipped through the cracks and were unjustly ignored. Also, additionally, my wife, Simone Missick, is portraying the iconic role of Misty Knight in the new Netflix Marvel series Luke Cage. And what? which may be very interesting Dude. for another one of your triple podcasts. You, you think? Yeah, duh. <laughs> we are a podcast household. Let me know your thoughts. Let's work this out. Dorian Messick. So suffice it to say, we're trying to work it out. We're going to work this out. <laughs> we're going to work the MF out. Of yes, this yes. Make this happen. But, but, you know, very, 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 very publicly. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. We, we, we appreciate that. We, I, I guess we can. Can we call him Dorian? Can we? Yeah, can we call him can, maybe Mister Dorian? Mister Missick or Mister Dorian? Mister Dorian, you know, because we're a little because we're familiar, but like we don't know him. But like, we don't you know, know, we don't like, know him. like it feel like you should like someone should say you know, hey, I'm just just Dorian, right? So we'll give him the respect of Mister Dorian, exactly. And thank you, we we do appreciate you. And in, in all seriousness, it's it's nice that people kind of get what we're doing, it's, especially on a on a film that admittedly we gave a mixed review yes, of yet he yes. could st- still appreciated the constructiveness of what we right, had right. to say about well, it. Well, you know, we try to be honest and we try to be deliberate and we try yeah. to be thoughtful. Exactly. So if nothing else, you know, you can't say that, um, or at least hopefully you can't say we are dismissive. Right. You, you know, I do, you know, I know we both do our best to be very thoughtful. Yes. In our analysis, in so. our dismissiveness. I hope you guys are still encouraged that, uh, you're doing such a service to the communities because this has really been a hole in what's going on in Hollywood and everything else. There are no black films. That's what people say. And you guys are just kind of proving that there's lots of art, talent, and people saying stuff out there. It's a beautiful thing. So be encouraged. Well, well thank you as well. Thank you. And and to that, to that, we will also be talking to you, ladies and gentlemen, about a new piece of black film art that is coming your way down the line from our guest Maurice Popular. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but for now it's time for us to uh, take a walk under Prince's Cherry Moon. You don't have to be beautiful See it. Hear it. Feel it. Live it. 
Prince. His new motion picture, Under the Cherry Moon. Feel the beat. Feel the heat. Under the Cherry Moon. All right. So, 1986's Under the Cherry Moon, as Lynn mentioned, this is Prince's second film, of course, after uh, Purple Rain, but this is his directorial debut. He yes. directs this, and he also directs uh, the quasi-sequel, or, or sequel, depending on how you want to interpret it, to Purple Rain Graffiti Bridge. Right. Um, and Maurice, as we always do when we have someone in the third chair, it's of all of the films, all of the black films that have been made, we're always curious why someone chooses the film that they want to choose. So we will ask you, Maurice, why did you want to talk about Under the Cherry Moon? Um, I just watched it again last night, and man, this movie is uh, it, it's a trip. Um, I think it's a very interesting movie, but as you said, um, unlike Graffiti Bridge, which is kind of like a sequel to Purple Rain, I think pe- this suffers from people expecting a mm. sequel. You know, Purple Rain's a movie about a rock star who almost leaps off the screen and, like, becomes the top of the world. And, you know, it stars Prince. I mean, The Chain Moon is the story of a couple brothers in the south of France. And, you know, they're jiggling for sport and they make ends meet. But they're not rock stars and they're not glamorous and they're not on top of the world. And one of them is still Prince. <laughs> um, what I love about this movie is that they're unapologetically black. Unlike white Americans, they can't afford to be there. Unlike the black, black French and Africans, they show up periodically in the background. They don't know their place. And even in the south of France, the movie seems to say, "Why y'all here? Mind your own business." I, I, I love this film, and I'll say it again: I love this film. You know, I, I love my uncle Bubba. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And he got problems, <laughs> but I have a lot of love for this film. It's a very transgressive film, mm. and uh, I think that a lot of folks kind of pass it over because it seems a very uh, what's the word trifling, like a trifle, you know. But really? there's a lot going on in this movie. Okay, that's interesting. Watching this film again this time when I first watched the film um, in 86 because I was one of those you know it's a Prince devotee so when it came out in the theaters uh, I ran to see it I loved that it was a black and white film seemingly a period piece even though it really is kind of has its own kind of time Right, you know, right, not sure right. exactly what, what space and time this is you see contemporary in. cars periodically yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, you do. So, so it's not necessarily a period piece, but it definitely is trying to evoke the feeling of a period piece. Sure. It definitely is trying to evoke the feeling of a lot of the screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s, um, yet with some of the over-the-top artistry of maybe um, some of your more wilder uh, Italian uh, romance capers sure, back in sure. the day. I think that, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Fellini used to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I could see where he's trying to uh, uh, Prince is trying to pull from those two uh, 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 two two inspirations. It's beautifully shot by Michael Bauhaus, yeah, who's yeah. done a lot of work with uh, Martin Scorsese. I was I about to say it, that that's 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 a name that rings out. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, so you you can't knock the cinematography of it. But even though, even with all that, when I watched it then, I still felt that this film was very self-indulgent. That's like that's mm-hmm. one of the major uh, uh, adjectives that people use to describe under Cherry Moon. Watching it this time, watching it again for probably the first time in a, at least ten years, probably longer, it struck me, especially since we had just seen Purple Rain. Purple Rain is very much the story of Prince Rogers Nelson. Um, loosely his his biography right um, as told through the, as much of the script and even maybe more so through the music and the energy of the music of that film this film struck me as this is Prince as he sees the character of Prince Wow, that's really interesting. This this is how he sees the character of Prince as as should be coming off to you, uh, uh, to the world as someone that is that is um, not of our time that that walks in his own time bubble that is um, very much a trickster, mm-hmm. very much a person who floats on. Every word that he says, every lyric that he writes, every melody that he sings, and every joke that he plays. He is he is the um without being the most masculine of uh, uh, appearances of a man or or necessarily the most feminine appearance of a woman, he he is that that middle ground that he is he is the yin and the yang that's what he that is what he is presenting and that that this movie it, it just struck in my head that this is him trying to give us what prince is right right that doesn't make it good right it just means that that's what uh, what he was i was struck by with with what he was doing there is um there is a playfulness to the music and to the movie and to the script which is horrible but to the lightness of the story of the script the tone yes the tone Mm -hmm. there's a playfulness of it that this really could have been something and in the hands of a more skilled director I could see it being something something very worthwhile it's notable that yes while this is Prince's directorial debut it's only his directorial debut because the person that was hired to direct right, it right. got fired right. um, or, or, or quit or, or quit depending, right, right. On, depending, the story on, you depending on what story you read you right. know what I mean uh, it's also noticeable notable that um, one of the major stars besides Prince that was supposed to be in this movie was Terrence Stamp who was supposed to play the father or, or more or less right. the villain of this film, but he also left over creative differences. Right, right. You know? So, uh, and Terrence Stamp is someone who is noted in Hollywood as being, one, an incredible actor, but also an actor who knows what he wants to do, uh, will read, read a part, 
and then say, okay, work with the director to try and get what you want and what I see from this in this role. Um, with this being such a, in many ways, a vanity piece for Prince, you know, Warner Brothers just basically threw him the twelve million dollars. Yo, we need a sequel to Purple Rain, and you see it all over the screen. Too. You do. He doesn't he's, waste. He doesn't he waste spend dollar. every dollar of it. He right. doesn't waste a dollar of it. You know. Um, you know, uh, 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 there may there may be some pieces of cloth on on the ground because uh, there's a lot of holes in the clothes. Right. You know, but hey, he could wear it. Right. Right. He could wear it. But it, with this being so much of a vanity piece of Prince, you could see where a more skilled director or a more nuanced and polished actor like Terrence Stamp might be uh, rub against some of his more uh, eccentricities and just be like, just bow out. Right. Unfortunately, leaving Prince to his own devices with, to to his credit, a skilled cinematographer a skilled set designer because the film does does look beautiful in set and in film right but other than that that's it everything else is um is just below the standards of what the film looks like the film looks like it it should be so much more right but everybody else involved just doesn't have the chops to bring it you didn't laugh watching this movie land I laughed. Oh, you laughed a lot. No, I did not. Well, I laughed a lot, but it wasn't it wasn't at the comedy. Right. I laughed at um I did laugh at, you know, probably one of the more, most famous bits in the movie, the whole record stuff. The record stuff. The record stuff. That's funny. But honestly, when I'm listening to them, you know, badly read that line, you know, here here's the here's the messed up part about this movie. In every instance where Prince is trying to be funny, the direction is too slow. So, it, because it's supposed to be like a screwball comedy, so you you need that rhythm, you need that faster pace. Right. So the, the so the direction is too slow, but mo- but more egregiously, it shouldn't be Prince reading those lines. Those lines are meant for Morris Day, Wh- which which I think is something that hit me because I've I've actually seen this movie a lot, mm-hmm. and it hit me for the first time today after seeing Purple Rain so recently. Right. That he's channeling Morris Day. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, I agree with that. I, I think the the two big comments that I had, like like my two sort of thesis statements, was um first what you said, Maurice. Like, like I was I was sort of really interested in how transgressive this film was in a lot of different ways. Like I think the way that um Prince as as Christopher Tracy and Jerome Benton as Tricky his his half brother the way they uh-huh. the way they play with their sexuality the way they play with their gender the way they flirt with each other and then they flirt with women and it is this 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 kind of neat fluidity that they have between them you know that kind of speaks to their confidence in their own skin and also just I mean, this is what we talk about when we talk about Prince and we, and we talk about his work, when we talk about, you know, everything that he does. And then the second part of the transgressive nature of it is something that you said. I, 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 I forgot how black Christopher Tracy is and how black Jerome is and how they, you know, speak to all these sort of, you, you know, black codified statements. And, you know, it's all the references to Sam Cooke and, mm-hmm. and, and the way they you know the way they they sort of use slang and, and their language and the way they kind of bring everybody in on it 
and it's it's just a it's fun, which goes to my second part, which I agree that this isn't like I wouldn't call this a great movie or necessarily even a good movie, but I think it's smarter than people give it credit for, and I think Prince is in on the joke more than people give him credit for being in on the joke. I, I think one of the one of the more interesting um, developments of Prince in the last 10 years of his life was, you know, kind of the, the public kind of figured out he had a sense of humor. But he's always had this sense of humor. And it's always, you, you know, it's like he was kind of a, an asshole in Purple Rain or he played an asshole. But there's so much fun in this thing. Like they're having a ball, and you know, I said the thing about the twelve million dollars. Like I almost thought it's like they say about Adam Sandler, where they say Adam Sandler only makes movies with his friends, and he only shoots in really, really nice places, and he's basically using the studio's money to have fun. There's a sense of that in this. Like you get the feeling that Prince kind of tapped Jerome and said, "Let's have us a, a good time." on Warner Brothers and you know you get a great soundtrack and it's a movie and you know but but I enjoyed it I I enjoyed this a lot actually I thought it was a fun little flick and I, I think it is bad but it's no more bad than a lot of old films were I felt like it's funny Lynn talked about how much he channeled the, the, the early days of Hollywood I found it had a a, a John Hughes-ness to it Hmm. I mean, just in the, that these guys, they're doing all this goofy stuff and they're breaking stuff, and it, but, but it's safe. And I think the ending, you know, spoiler alert, you know, when Christopher dies, is almost, in speaking to John Hughes, who has all these teenage characters in his films who, who go through the world and it's all a, a party, but, you know, in this film, somebody dies. And even that, I think, you know, I agree with you, Vince, but, you know, it, it, it's very self-conscious. It's very self-conscious. See, um, I couldn't disagree with you guys more. This, <laughs> there is, there is nothing that is, I, I don't, I didn't find this movie to be fun. There is one fun piece in here. You didn't like it when he snuck into her mother's room? No, I didn't because I thought that was it was horribly um, staged and and shot and it did, the joke did not come over at, at, at all very well because they are so slow and stilted in delivery of their lines. Even Jerome. The one thing that you will notice if, if you now go back and look at um, Purple Rain, the chemistry between Morris Day and Jerome is it's like pitch perfect in that film. But the reason why it is pitch perfect is because Jerome is there primarily for his side glances, for his for his um, his reflexive reflexive responses to something that Morris Day says or does. Jerome doesn't talk that much. Jerome is now made a character in this film and thus he has a whole lot to say and has to um, try and, you know, carry part of the story. And, and and be sometimes a, an expository element of the of the script in this movie and thus shows himself as lacking as an actor 
in this film. And the other thing where you see there's fun between the two of them and the ambigu and the ambiguity of their of their sexual roles and everything like that. And I and I appreciate that that is there. It is. Like you said, Prince is channeling Mars Day. One of the things that came off of Purple Rain, as much as everybody hyped the music, as as much as everybody hyped the musical performances in Purple Rain, the other thing that people hyped in that movie was Morris Day, and they hyped them. And a lot of people, from an acting standpoint, hyped Morris Day a lot more so than they did Prince. Oh, you know, Prince played Prince very sure, well, sure. but Morris Day was actually the breakout star in that film. To me, can I, can I can, go ahead? Can I can I just so here's my challenge. You know, Prince has passed, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little upset about it. But I feel like a lot of people still haven't really got the revelation that the time was also Prince. It, we, we, exactly. You can go listen to Morris Day's albums. Yes. And they are distinctly a lot less than what the time produced in those four or five albums. That's true. And so, when you look at the character of Morris Day, I think you're seeing another aspect of Prince. The same way when you look at Madhouse, you're seeing another aspect of Prince. This is Prince's Miles Davis album, you know? I feel right. like there's definitely a point where Morris Day got to wear the hat. Mm-hmm. And Morris Day is a cool cat. I love watching him in concert. Right. But that was Prince doing his quote-unquote black thing and right. under the Prince level, label he wasn't black or white he wasn't straight or gay I understand I, I, I understand I understand and agree with everything that you're saying but here's the difference while Prince may have been the the puppet master behind everything that the time and thus Morris Day with the time was he still had to select those pieces and in Morris Day he selected a great piece to to portray that character that characterization whether or not that was an aspect of prince and and, and i do believe that what he was portraying was an aspect of the prince persona uh that prince rogers nelson was creating it unfortunately for prince rogers nelson morris day was is better at portraying that aspect of his persona than prince is Okay. So in that, what I saw in this film was Prince trying to, okay, well, what worked in Purple Rain? Ah, that Morris Day and Jerome. Well, I can't be Morris, but I'm going get to me, get me that Jerome, and then me and Jerome will have the funniness right, and the right. naturalness of what everybody was so hyped about in Purple Rain, but it'll even be more so because we'll be the stars of this film. And, and unfortunately, to me, that's one of the letdowns of this film as opposed to in purple rain where he can be all just all smoldering cool for the most part and then just drop a couple of little couplets and then the next thing you know he's on stage at the at the con you know on stage in this film he's acting he's trying to get his leading man on and he is acting in every sense of the word he is he is, he is acting he's not he's not He's not an actor, but neither is he a natural actor. Now, is he acting or, again, my read, and I'm, you know, just from the first scene where, you know, he's handing them notes that flash of the eyes. And is he acting or is he, and, and I, I forget whether you or Marie said it, is he kind of channeling, not even channeling, 
it's, it's, it's almost like a critique of the Prince persona. Okay. Like, well, like, like, you know, this is, you know, a couple of years after Purple Rain, mm-hmm. we are full on into Prince is capital P Prince right. in the public consciousness. Right. And I get this all, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm doing what, what, like they say you shouldn't do. Like, I'm going to pull the biography into it and kind of look at that. But you get the feeling from this moment that, like, Prince was always uncomfortable with the pop status part of it. Like, like people would say Michael Jackson, Madonna, Boy George, Prince. And, like, you know, he was never, he never seemed comfortable in that mold. So that's something like Under the Cherry Moon, I read it as him critiquing that, like, this isn't real. Now, whether or not he did it that well, I think, you know, again, I look, I think an interesting miss, an interesting attempt is better than something safe. And, 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 you know, I go back to what I said. I think this film is smarter than what people give it credit for. Now, does he succeed? Not really. I, I mean, you know, and then, you know, we're leaning on Prince, but, but you know, like, like, you know, like you said, Jerome and Jerome talks a lot in this film. And that, I, you know, Jerome talking might not be the best strategy. Best use of his strength. Right. Like a lot of talking. <laughs> But but again, I do see this, especially in in light of what happened afterwards. Again, I talked about Prince's humor in the past ten years, how he talks about it, and and you know, subsequently after this film, Prince was always critiquing that part of it, like 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 that sort of you know the stardom, the 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 what does it mean to be a, a public artist? What does it mean to you, you know be in a gigolo? You know, it's it's like being a gigolo actually, like you know, you sound a piece yeah. of and. I will grant I might be reading more into it than might be in the text, but kind of like we were saying in Purple Rain, and and you know I'll just I'll, I'll probably say this again when we do Graffiti Bridge. I think it's it's difficult to separate some someone as big as Prince and everything that goes into that princeness, and look at this as a text separate from that. I don't have that problem. <laughs> I guess that's why it's good that it's more than me on here. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's a perfect film. I think it's a very interesting film. I think um, I think he's doing a lot of stuff here. I think it's really interesting to me that he sets us outside of the United States. Um, he goes to France, mm-hmm. you know, where yeah. you know he had, he had just graduated to the point where he realized why. All the black Americans who had money would go to France in the mid twentieth century. Right, right. You know, you could almost have a better life, and you know, I guess I, I, I agree that these characters don't come off as polished actors. But I, I feel like I know goofy cats like this. Just placing them in the south of France is interesting because you know I've done a little traveling. And I've met those goofy cats who, you know, they, they're not, some of them aren't compelling, some of them aren't, they don't make sense, but they're, 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 it's almost like there are fewer rules for people like this once you get out of an American context. And I thought that all of that added up to 
a lot to think about. Yeah. I, I'm not going to get his film an Oscar. You know, I think it's beautiful. I think it's well intended, but you know, I think it's also earnest in a lot of what it's doing. I agree. I no, I agree with you. I agree with you. And and just to to kind of circle back to the uh, to the racial aspect of it, I think it's worth noting that you know at this moment there there was that kind of um, MTV eighties and and you know. Prince would get this, you know, he would say, I'm neither black or white. And it was always that sort of ambient. Is he actually trying to claim us? Which, you know, in, in a lot of ways was unfair. Like if you actually listen to the music and you listen to him talk like, like, you know, I've, I, w- I was reading some interviews where, 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 you know, they kind of trace Prince's racial consciousness and they talk about how, you know, people talk about his guitar playing and, you know, they'd always want to bring up, you know, Jimmy Page and, you know, all these other white players. And he made a point of talking about, you know, Chuck Berry and Sly Stone and, and, you know, and all of these people, you know, like not Jimi Hendrix, who's sort of the acceptable black guitars. And I, I think you're right. There is this, you know, I love that. I love that moment where where we find out from from the Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jackie's Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh, what's the best way to eat a taco? That's with your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. Film that they're half brothers. And he says to Tricky, you know, the police are going to take you away and they're going, you're going to say, that's my brother. And I'm going to say, well, clearly we have different fathers. And he said, you know, <laughs> you're chocolate and I'm butterscotch. And right. that's such a black thing. Like, like if you're not black, I don't know how much experience you have with the intricacies of, you know, colorism and, and how, you know, the playfulness that you have in that moment. Uh, you know, we and talk- the complicated families. And, the, and complicated families and what all that means. Exactly. You know, I talked about, you know, they kept the, the Sam Cooke and the Ruckus Stowe thing. You, you know, it's, a, it's a, the pictures of Miles, you know, the Miles Davis album in the background. You know, not commented on, it's just sitting there. But this is somebody, and, and I think you said it in, in, in your beginning statement. These are unapolog- These are not racially neutral men. These are black men. And and they you, you know it is it is articulated in several ways in the film, and I think that's noteworthy in 1986, especially about somebody that you you know again it, it's been a pushback in in the in in the short time that he's been dead where where people are are writing that, and I think the technical term is bullshit about you you know oh he transcended race and he why he got to transcend race. Like, why does black have to be something you have to transcend? 
And I think it is, you know, even in this text in 1986 that we have dismissed that, that, you know, it won the Razzie and all of this stuff. You have, you know, one of the biggest musical icons already at that moment saying, I'm a black man. And in, and in another seven years, he'll be writing slave on his forehead. But that's another conversation. Right. Yeah, that's another conversation. One thing I did want to talk about, I wanted to talk about the um, the actress, Kristen Scott. Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, Kristen Scott Thomas, who makes her uh, her acting debut here. Now, Kristen would go on to many big things in film. Uh, she would become a very noted uh, actress for um, for her work in Four Weddings and a Funeral, and then would later, ten years from this movie, win an Academy Award for The English Patient, uh, and also do do a uh, uh, ton of work in Mission Impossible, The Horse Whisperer, Godsford Park, uh, and a ton of stuff overseas as well. None of which could have been foreseen <laughs> by her work under the cherry moon. Wreck a stow, wreck a stow, wreck a stow. Thank you very much. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's only because of what she has gone on to accomplish that I want to believe that it was the direction that let her down and under the cherry moon. Because. She was horrible. Well, you know the story about that role, right? Because the role was originally supposed to be, I think, um, wait a minute, I had it here. Prince's girlfriend. Yeah. Wendy's twin sister. Right, right, right. Wendy's, Wendy, who. Of Wendy and Lisa. Wendy of Lisa of the Revolution. Yeah. uh, Her twin sister, Susanna. That's right. Was supposed to actually play the role of Mary Mary Sharon, but it was clear that she couldn't act. She was horrible. So, so, the, so they said. So they replaced her with Kristen Scott Thomas, which begs the question: How bad? How bad could she have been? <laughs> she had been. And Marie, since you name checked Madhouse, I'm going to give the extra point to you. What did Susanna go on to do? Affiliated with Prince? Oh, see, I don't know about that one. She's in the family. <laughs> she's in the family. Yeah, Prince. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. she's she's one of the members of the family. Yeah, right. Screaming passion, passion, folk. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I think there's a certain point where the the the, the clear um, kind of taking a taking taking not taking serious of itself that this film has gone for itself is halfway through the movie, in the middle of arguably the most popular song, Prince is dancing on a table, and he throws his jacket onto the floor. And then in the next frame, the jacket jumps up off the floor and goes back <laughs> onto his shoulders. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, I, I don't know. In my mind, that is purposeful. That's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> and I think that was the goal of making this film. You know what? And, and pink and black. I'm, I'm glad that you, that you uh, mentioned that scene because that scene goes into my read that part of this film is Prince critiquing Prince the persona because you remember she she says to him when he shows up in his tuxedo she says oh you actually own some regular clothes Mm. and you get this acknowledgement that Prince wears ridiculous shit because Mm -hmm. he's Prince and don't act like like, you know everybody try to pretend well, well maybe like maybe Prince don't know that 
that he's dressed <laughs> like a gay pirate. Like maybe gay pirate is just his thing, and and he doesn't know. No, Prince knows. Prince knows I wear. I, I, I'm flamboyant. I wear my stuff. I want to be a pirate, right? So I love that moment. I love that moment in the film where someone says to the character, "Oh, you have some regular clothes," and not for nothing, that brother wears that tuxedo, right? Okay, he looks okay in a tuxedo. He first of all, Prince is uh, uh, a well put together guy. I mean, all five foot two of him yes. is 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 nothing but lean muscle. So he's going to look good in whatever he wears. Plus, how how what was the budget that you said for this? Twelve million dollars. I suspect a tailor took a piece of black velvet or or whatever oh, that fabric was out, out of that out of the back of them pants and just sliced it up around them of course so of course so he's going to look good in whatever in whatever he wears um so hey no, like i said no one can knock the look and the feel mm-hmm. of this film but again that just runs i mean and i know it's the whole screwball comedy uh screwball comedy-ness of it in that you know they're supposed to be these Two gigolos that are down in their luck can't afford their rent, so they got to pull this whole uh, Bella Lugosi trick on their landlord in the beginning, so to, to get them the uh, you know so that they can stay there. Yet everything they wear is silk, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> and like to the nines. That's a work expense. Okay, it's a work right? expense. You can write that off on your taxes. The gigoloness was almost like a level of kind of sport in this film and I, I think again I think it's interesting that instead of posing as Prince who is rich and got a mansion and a vault full of music he really plays himself as somebody who can't afford their rent you know I think that is again part of the purpose I think is also where this film kind of goes wrong because people are like but that's Prince right right it's hard to separate Prince from yeah yeah, it, it 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 really is. Um but you you brought up that scene where he does dance on the uh, on the piano and they're singing I'm trying to remember the song that is being sung at that time. It's called Kiss? No, I think that's no, it's Girls Kiss. and Boys. It's Girls and Boys. Yeah, it's oh, Girls, Girls and yeah, Boys. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. That is one of the one of the more infectious moments of this film. And that is the moment where you know, there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of playful. The, the playfulness that he wants in the film uh, and in his character kind of comes together there again. I think his directing let lets him down because sure. the, the, it's a scene that should be a lot more faster paced along with that music, but it still is uh, in lockstep there. This uh, soundtrack, which. I don't know why he released under the name Parade instead of under the name Under the Cherry Moon, but that's what the brother wanted to do. Yes. Um, the music is, is, is great music. It's playful. It, it, it fits the tone. It fits that, that you, you hear the, uh, the French Riviera in, mm-hmm. in the melody. You hear the, the lightheartedness in, 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 the, uh, in the lyrics. You know, uh, girls and boys. It's just a really fun track, you know. Uh, Christopher Tracy, album. Christopher Tracy's parade. Yeah, you know, it was really cool. But again, circling back just a little bit, a, a, a quick little segue. Uh, I don't like 
1989's Batman with Michael Keaton. Well, one of the main reasons I don't like it is because while I know Prince did the soundtrack to that, and I'm not a great big fan of his soundtrack, yeah, yeah, the sure. soundtrack really doesn't get over get over with me because in that film it is so poorly mixed. Right, right. It right. is so poorly under uh, under mixed in that film that I can't even really appreciate the the musicality of it and what it may be adding to the scene like that whole um uh museum piece scene in uh batman with with the joker going around and painting all all the film all the paintings and everything like that splashing paint all over the place and you've got prince's music playing under that it's so it's so low it should really be on top of that scene and it's not and and thus the energy of that scene is it just doesn't hit me Circling back to Under the Cherry Moon, that's the same problem I had with this film in a lot of the, a lot of places. I knew that there were some places where the soundtrack or the music was supposed to just be kind of like interstitial music or maybe background music that's playing within the scene. But there are other moments where the music is supposed to be uh, evoking a certain type of mood from you or, or it's supposed to be coloring the scene in a certain way and yet it is so low in the mix that I'm not I'm struggling to to get it I'm hearing I, I think there's music playing I, mean, I think right, that music right, is supposed right. to be making me feel some type of way but but because I'm thinking that I, I'm now totally out of this scene right you know? so well, um, the the soundtrack is so great and, and that is a sign of of a of, of a novice Director, yes, you would, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I thought it was a sign of control because I thought, you know, he could have made this his music video because he had the final say. I mean, um, I think Tim Burton has said he didn't want Prince's soundtrack, and so when you talk about the mix being wrong, right. you know, okay, yeah, <laughs> but in this film, he had so many pieces that he was responsible for. People say he's an egomaniac, but I'm like, this could have been a lot worse. Right, right, right. I, I just want to point out, both of y'all are gonna to have to stop comic book trolling me. Like Lynn, you kept talking about Terrence Stamp, Stamp earlier, and it's every it's taking everything in me not to say Neil before Zod, son of Jorel. <laughs> And now we want to talk about Batman. Like, you know, like when you said I don't really like Batman that much, I actually got a little tick in my eye because <laughs> I love Batman. God so let's, can we, can we, can we? Fortunately, it's not a black film. Can we, can we stop talking? You know, why do you say these things when you know that I will kill you? You know, <laughs> like, you, you know. Okay. All right. All I right. had to get all that Terrence Stamp. You kept saying Terrence Stamp, which I'm sure he's been in other stuff. He has been. He has been. But but real, he's just Zod. But real quick. All uh, right. Just one, one all last, right. All right. Go ahead. Go one ahead. last thing about Batman, though. God damn it. Is that while uh, while Tim Burton has admitted that he he was not a fan of the idea of Prince's um, music being in the film because he really wanted the whole Danny Elfman feel and everything like that, he has also admitted that. The music was poorly mixed in the movie. Batman Returns oh. is the best Batman movie. It's better than all of Chris Nolan stuff. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not getting in that. Well, you're lucky that's not a black film. <laughs> we might have to. We might have to do a, a separate a separate show, Mister, for that man. All right, go ahead. Okay. I'm the show sidetrack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The show pit stop. <laughs> right. 
Uh, okay. We had a port of call, a guy from City. Anyway, all right, sorry. Um, <laughs> where else? Where else did I want to go with this film? Uh, I went on Jerome. Hate it. Kristen Scott Thomas. Hate it. Uh, oh, Stephen Burkoff, who plays her father. <laughs> yes. the, he's like the '80s heavy. He is <laughs> because he was. Um, oh, he was in. Was it Beverly Hills Cop? He was in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, yeah. He, he was in. Uh, uh, like lot, uh, I want to say, uh, he, he was in the Beatles film. In the Beatles, he played in the Beatles musical movie. What? Also as a heavy. Wh- which movies? Uh, Sergeant Pepper or I, Har- Hell? I think a Long Day's Night. A Hard Day's Night. Hard, hard Day's, Day's Night. Yeah. Hard Day's Night. Hey, he, pro- he probably did. Yeah, yeah. he probably did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's such like he's such an '80s guy. Yeah, you know, he's the best thing in this movie. Yeah, he's not giving much to work with. Yeah, but he's the best thing in this movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, like you know, you're supposed to feel for Kristen Scott Thomas who falls in love for, with uh, Christopher Tracy. I don't know why. And then you're supposed to feel that you know Jerome falls in love with her. I don't know why. This story just really. Uh, I'm not a fan of this movie. Right. I do not like it. And story. and I will say this: everything that I just said, and and I I I do believe this. Like I think Prince is sort of critiquing his princeness. I do think by the end he kind of gets pulled in and and believes his own um, press releases. Yeah, because it's something that this and Graffiti Bridge have in common, where he kind of casts himself as this almost Christ figure. Yes, so that you know he dies at the end and everyone is in a better place than they were, and everybody's and then the film actually ends with the with with the camera panning upwards in heaven. Right, right, right. And you go into the video for mountains, and we see mountains. Yes. So it was like, oh, Prince. And again, one of the, another one of the good parts of the movie. It's an amazing soundtrack. <laughs> it's it's an amazing. You know, it's one of um, you know, it's one of the first. You know, now we're doing the music. Again. It's one of the first. One of the first Prince albums where he begins to incorporate horns prominently. Uh-huh. And um, actually, had a, he, he there? There's a, a horn player that he uses. Oh, um. Because he Claire, act, Claire Fisher, yes, because Claire he basically Fisher. is like uh, 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 right, not a horn player, but she's a keyboardist and she, a composer he, and arranger. Is a he? Yeah, yeah, he. Right. Sorry. So and he basically bands uh, uh, the orchestra. Right. So, so you know, you do see this shift in his music, which you needed for for the feel of the film. Absolutely, you needed that for which you know I think goes to what you were saying, Maurice, uh, about the control and when you have somebody kind of controlling all the aspects of a film. And, and I don't know. To me, I, I agree with you, man, that it falls apart a bit at the end. I, I feel like there's a, a certain expectation. I, I, he did a lot in the early beginning of the film, and in the end, you want to see the girl get the boy, the boy get the girl, and all this other stuff. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's contrived. It's fun. But I think he makes his point in the first half of the movie. It's, it's interesting how I saw, you know, the black guy getting with the white girl and then having to die, having so much more to do with all this other stuff that might resonate more with an American audience, <laughs> you know what I mean, than actually would work for a foreign audience, you know? Why? I mean, that that's, that's almost some 70s stuff. Right. Where the black guy has to die because he slept with the, the white girl. Well, Jerome um, got that, his is white that girl. Purposeful? 
I mean, Jerome got okay. his girl. Yeah, Jerome got his white girl. And a job. Well, and she, but she's French. Uh, okay. You know? Right, right, right. Okay. Well, so, like, this so, is a woman of class. So he got, <laughs> so he got French vanilla. Right. <laughs> it, 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 Prince wanted the vanilla bean. Oh, boy. But, but, but when Jerome went after French vanilla, you know, it was like, you know, you can't get vanilla bean. You need to get right? some French vanilla. Just to remind you kindly, listener, this is this is taped in real time. So that French vanilla joke right off the top of the head. <laughs> Sharp as a tack over there, Mr. Webb. The boom boom. Prince <laughs> is clearly the taboo in this situation. You know, um, Christian Scott Thomas's. I mean, I, I agree. This plays way better on paper than it does them looking at each other. You know, but they, they set up the, the boyfriend as being the square who you don't want to be with. And who you and don't see. Prince, you right, don't you see never him. actually see him, which is interesting. Right. But that's enough. You know, he's effectively used. <laughs> and then you have this fun guy who, you know, she almost feels like it, it's going to be this tete-a-tete with, you know. And then the father pushes her out the house, and, of course, she runs to the fun guy, and it's like, well, can I trust you? Yeah, but here's, and, the, here's, yeah. The, thing, here's the thing. she It's all over the place because when we first introduced to her character, she's coming down as this helter-skelter type of right, chick. Right, right. She's already you know, this free yeah, spirit. Yeah, she's like this free spirit. You know, like, check out my birthday suit and, and, and flashing oh. everybody, you know? She's already, like, the, you know, the, the off-the-wall, uh, 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 um, uh, 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 scattered, you know, kind of like scatterbrained artsy fartsy you know right. uh, society right. chick much much like uh Catherine Hepburn plays in a lot of those uh, 30s and 40s movies like the Philadelphia story uh she yeah. it, that's ex- exactly trying to evoke that type of role but then she can't be but so far off the wall because you're going up against Prince and his puffy shirts so you can't right. you can't be but so far off the wall when you're coming up with a dude who whose shirt only comes down to his nipple you, whose you, heels are taller than yours exactly whose right. hair is taller than yours yeah so you yeah. you they've got to immediately dial her back to all of a sudden she's this this prude who doesn't approve of of the type of lifestyle that that he's living yet we're introduced to her as somebody that will be right in line with her. It makes no well, sense. Well, I think we're introduced as somebody who wants to be in control. And so when she sees him, like she she doesn't become a prude. She attacks his class. And so, you know, she has all the money, right? She has all her friends. Her friends fawn on her. And she meets this guy who ain't playing it. You know, and I mean, that's that's a cool little thing, you know? That's worked for me in the past. But um, she... she deals with this guy, and she keeps trying to get control over him. He wants to come in. She wants to throw him out. Um, and uh, I don't know. That's, 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 that's textbook to me. Um, you know, somebody who's power-hungry, but somebody who also seeks a peer, maybe. I hear you. I, and, and it is textbook, and maybe it, and maybe it does. It, it would play well if you had it being portrayed by stronger actors. Touche, touche. In parting, uh, Maurice, is this a black film that you would heartily recommend to me? And and here... I got to be heartily. Well, 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 first of all, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. And and admittedly, we haven't done this before, but I think we should do this from uh, going forward. Okay. Okay. As opposed to whether or not we're recommending this as a film that people should see. Okay. 
one of the things we should also one of the aspects in which we should also judge this is because because we are doing primarily feature films like we're not doing Mm -hmm. tv movies or anything like that we're doing feature films that for the most part should have gotten a theatric release or if if not a a theatric release to like the director video or something like that I think one of the aspects upon which we should judge these films is whether or not this is a film that is not only worthy of, like, you should see, but this is a film you should see on the big screen. If you could. If you could. Um, So with that in mind, and and admittedly kind of putting you a little bit on the spot right there, Maurice, how do you feel this film ranks up as a film that people, whether or not they should see it, and... Is it worthy enough of being seen on the big screen? See, see, that that's not fair, Lynn. Um, <laughs> I, I I think you should really only see superhero epics on the big screen. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I was about to say. Interesting. But but I think this film should be seen in a large group of people mm. because I think that could make this film a lot more enriching for some. Uh, I think this is a film that you'd watch at a party, and people would talk trash about it. People, I, I, I think this film evokes conversation, and I don't think this is a film you should watch on your phone. I don't think this is a film you should watch at home by yourself. You know, maybe Netflix and chill, but I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I don't think I think this is a, a, a communal experience. That's interesting. That, that is an interesting read of it. What do you say, Vince? I do. I mean, just just for the sets and the performances, you know. I, I think uh, the performance. You mean the musical? Performances? The musical performances. Yeah, the musical performances. I think. I, I you know I think this is actually a bad film to judge like that because I think anytime you get to see Prince perform, even you, you know in the limited moments, because that's the other thing. As musical as this film is, there isn't a lot of Prince performance right I mean, in this film on purpose that's on, on purpose, purpose but i think that also says something about what Pr- prince was going for with this thing mm-hmm. and um but like you said i i think it, it, it's also not a coincidence that the scene that you thought was the most infectious was the scene where he actually performed yes which you know in a lot of ways kind of piggybacks um one of our observations about prince in Purple Rain, mm-hmm. where he is at his most seductive, he's at his most lively when he's playing music. Right. But um, you know, I love the costumes. I love the you know, basically just to, to damn it with faint praise. Like I love everything about this film except the acting. <laughs> Which you know, I, again, I love the costumes. I love the music. I love the um, because they're in what they're in France. South of France. I love the, you know, I love the South of France. I love the cinematography, which we've talked about, which you, you know is is cla- much, cla- you know, much more classy than the film probably deserves. Yes. Um. So yeah, if if and I think they were running it in a couple of places, like after he died, after he died, you yeah. got all these limited engagements. Yeah, if you get a chance to see it on a big screen, absolutely. And and like Maurice, I think it is very much a communal experience, and and you know. 
I've, I, I have said in my life, you know, it's what, what is it? It's, because it's a full moon, I'm a werewolf, bitch. Kiss werewolf. my ass. <laughs> like, That's my line. I, exactly. You, you know, like everybody talks about records, though, but don't nobody talk about it's a full moon and I'm a werewolf, bitch. Kiss my ass. Which, you know, are really words we can live by. I, th- I feel like you can put that on one of those lavender kind of <laughs> placards. That that you put you know it's like put up in your kitchen right like Mark Twain says you know apparently anything can happen today or you know like gee those Jesus those were the times that I held you in this one footprint and then is you know it's a full moon I'm a werewolf bitch kiss my ass and you had you had that up there too it's like they're all I think they're all sort of <laughs> statements you can live your life by yes okay and, and, and Lynn what do you think um I think that. <laughs> this is a movie that people should run and buy the soundtrack. Absolutely, buy Absolutely. buy the the poster of the film because it, it, it you know it it tries to evoke that feeling of the, the of the thirties even in in it, even in the poster of it. <clears throat> Play the soundtrack, stare at the poster, and write your own movie. <laughs> <laughs> because because as much as I there, as much as I want to say because of the cine, cinematography that this should be seen on the big screen that really is like after that opening scene where he's like is, like uh, uh, flirts with the chick over the over the piano and then it Mrs. Wellington right Mrs. Wellington and then it cuts it cuts to a scene of the French Riviera. Uh, you see the birds flying, and there's music playing, and it's, it's, it's a lot of quick cult, quick cuts, and a lot of energy. That 20, 30 second scene is all you need to see. Mm. That's it. You don't need to see girls and boys. No, you don't, because because the way it's filmed, you don't need to see it. The, mm. the song itself, the song itself will will evoke en- enough of that energy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, to watch them perform that. You know, there's a, he has a little bit of that energy, but it actually steals some of the liveliness of it because he has to go through the machinations of still carrying on the plot. His direction is slow. You got the father coming in, and he's got to send the bodyguards after him, and all this type of stuff. It real only confused men were loafers. Exactly. It, it kind of just it steals <laughs> a, it steals a little bit away from that. So no, you I don't think you need to see this film. There is one Prince film that you need to see, and that is Purple Rain. We unfortunately are tasked with seeing them all. And now that we have watched Under the Cherry Moon, we will continue this descent down the the worst streets of Prince's career next week with Graffiti Bridge. But before we get there, if you are looking for something that you should see, a black film that you should see, on a big screen there is a film that sight unseen I dare say will be better than Under the Cherry Moon Love Under New Management the Regina high, high praise, high praise. the Regina Bell story no oh. no not that it is a new film by the writer filmmaker Maurice Poplar that's right what you got for us Maurice yes Gabby Quixote it's a drama about a black guy who has delusions that America's trying to kill him. Mm. Is that delusions? I was about to say. Is that Tuesday morning? <laughs> You're not okay. paranoid that they're the really story. after you. That's the story. Okay. And when should we look for this? Uh, hopefully in the fall. Just finishing up everything. 
Uh, we shot it last summer and uh, had a great cast. And, you know, uh, the film's coming along. They got a great soundtrack. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, filmmaking kind of creates a community. And I just had a lot of good people come around me and bless me with their talents. And, yeah, just finishing up. Has this been a labor of love for you? Oh, man. <laughs> it has been a labor. And if I didn't love it, I wouldn't be finishing it. That's for sure. Donovan Quixote. He's a he's a brother who believes that America is trying to kill him, uh, and you can look for it this fall. Now, is it going to? Ha- are you going to be able to give it a theatric review, or is this going to go out on demand? Um, it's going to hit a couple film festivals. Nice. And um, I'm still kind of getting feedback from them right now, and I believe I'm going on Amazon with it. Nice. Because they make it easy, and uh, you know, it's a story that people should watch. Nice. And if you want to find out all the information about Donovan Quixote, you can go to DonovanQuixote.com. You can get all the information about Maurice Popular's new movie, Donovan Quixote, which will be coming to theaters and film festivals this fall of 2016. Uh, that that sounds like really cool. I can't wait to check it out. Can't wait to, to uh, 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 screen it. For me and, and Vince to 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 dig our our mitts into the world of Donovan Quixote, that sounds like a lot of fun, man. Wish you best of luck with that. Yes, and, and please please let us know when it when it it's it's out. And, you will know. Yeah, All right, definitely. So we can we can uh, pump that up for you, Maurice. This Appreciate has been so chance. this has been so much fun, man. Absolutely, and thanks for joining us in, in from California. And, Thank you, thank you. I gotta get out to Philly and meet you, cats. Absolutely. Along, along with the other tribbles. Yes, yes, yes. All the tribbles would, would love to meet you, bro. Um, and, and who knows? We may get out there first. Uh oh. You know? Uh oh. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if, and if you if you like everything that you're hearing from Maurice and you want to get in touch with the brother, you can go to DonovanQuixote.com or or MauricePoplar.com. There you go. P-O-A-R, like the tree. Oh, like the, there you go, there you go, standing tall. That's what's up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back next week here on the Michelle Mission with Graffiti Bridge as we continue our trek down the world of Prince. As always, you can check out everything Michelle Mission at MichelleMission dot com. Hit us up on Facebook at Michelle Mission. Find us on Twitter at Mission Michelle, or you can email us with any of your feedback. We would love to hear uh, love to hear feedback at Michelle Mission at gmail.com we're available on iTunes where we ask you to please go in and uh, if you want to do anything for us rank us leave a nice little uh, quote because that just heightens our profile on iTunes and helps people find us all the more you can also find us on SoundCloud Google Play Stitcher Radio as well as in our lovely home on the Black Tribbles Podcast Network for Maurice Poplar and for my lovely co-host Vincenzo This is Len in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. Deuces. time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.